you're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Record to the cloud. All right, now let me see if I put Sean in charge. He can let anybody else come in. I don't know if... Waiting room, let's see. I'm a little afraid what happens if I uh, run over to the fireplace, but let's... There we go. There's Chuck. Yeah, you're going to leave it with me. That's what I'm going to try to do. So let's see. Uh, I hope I'm allowed to do this. Let's see. Add reactions. Oh, maybe if I just click on Sean, then I can. Yeah, David, we have a good view of the like underside of your table, by the way. Yeah. I, I don't want the microphone giving me too much feedback. Let's see. Uh, yes. Okay, Sean, you're the co-host. Now, the question is, can you let people in? But, I'm uh, sure I can. You think you'll be able to? Yeah. All right. I am going to go start the fire and yeah, I got, I got five minutes to make sure I'm set up and then I can read the myth by the fire. So let's see. That sounds good. So Judy, you're part of the walled garden or. Yeah. So I, I'm a contributor at the walled garden and um, that's how I got to got acquainted with David's work. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, I always enjoy um, getting David's take on things and um, I, I do the soul searching with Seneca podcast with Simon Drew. I don't know if you've tuned oh, nice. into that ever. Yeah. I haven't been able to listen uh, to the podcast, but I've, I've met Simon a couple of times. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's no, a great group and a really supportive environment. Yeah. And so what um, do you do when you're not doing your podcast? <laughs> I, I'm a sales manager in a tech education company. And uh, outside of that, I'm watching Netflix and doing nothing of importance. Um, I can let people in. Here we go. Um, but yeah, so in our podcast, and I, I know you mentioned you listened to a couple episodes, um, I play the geek that just happens to know about Norse mythology, and David plays the actual smart person um, who's a therapist, and he can speak to what the myths say about the human mind. Um, so I'm kind of just that guy who's here and explaining what I happen to know about everything. So hi, Sandra. I'm Sean. Hi, Sean. Sorry, I was having technical difficulties getting my video and audio on. No, no, it's all good. I didn't hear anything anyone said until just now. <laughs> I, I was just, uh, exp I was explaining my deepest and darkest insecurities. Um, I didn't get to the point where I talk about how I'm afraid to speak in public, whether it's virtual or in person, and how I'm completely nervous right now. I didn't get to that part yet, but it's going to oh. be all good. That's what I was going to say. I look nervous. <laughs> no, I was going to say I'm completely nervous to talk in public, too. And I when I saw there was only going to be like six people, I thought, oh, my God, am I going to have to talk? And <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I put you on the spot. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I think we uh, are sharing the same uh, introvertedness, maybe. <laughs> it's OK. We'll be insecure together, but our insecurities okay. are our strengths. So it's all good. Oh, it looks like David's upside down now. He's putting together a fire. See, sometimes David looks like the idiot, like he does right now, but he's he's doing some good things right there. There we go. Now you can hear me? Yes. We can't see you, though. No, we'll see if my fire takes. Let's see. Let me look at my watch and see if I'm wasting everybody's time too much. I got a minute. Ooh, it might be taking, though, Sean. Congratulations. It might be taking. Find out. And so if I had a little assistance, then I wouldn't worry about uh, leaving the fire burning, but... Yeah, so we're actually not going to talk about Norse mythology. We're just going to watch David make a fire, start a fire. <laughs> yeah, and see if he can do it. Fire? It's when he ultimately fails at like, a, depending on where you're at, like 25 minutes after the hour, we'll just all go home and go to bed disappointed. Yeah. So can, can David start a fire in one try? This is the, the real question. 
Yeah, so it seems like we have one of our fans in the room. Uh, yeah, Kyle, um, how are you doing? Are you the Are you the Kyle that I that we speak to on Twitter every now and then? Uh, yeah. Can you if you can hear me? I think I'm not muted. Hey there, Kyle. Yes, I can hear yeah, you. Yeah, we we can hear you. Sorry to put you on the spot, but we appreciate you coming and uh, thank you for bringing your child as well. Yeah, this is the youngest one, and uh, he's very nice. interested. That's awesome. He's interested in our podcast. Hopefully he's not going to turn out to be a geek like me, but you know, maybe that's a good thing. So. Hey, you know, if that's what he wants to do, then it'll be, it'll be good for the world. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. So um, I, I hate to, well, I know I follow you on Twitter and I see you commenting on uh, things going on in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, is that, is, is that where you live? Yes. Yep. Yes. Uh-huh. That's awesome. The reason I'm asking is because uh, like for three years um, up until a couple of years ago, I lived in Denver um, and when I moved to Denver, David was actually living in Colorado Springs. So we grew up together okay. in Maryland and we went to college and we were roommates at the university of Maryland. But, uh, uh, at some, for whatever reason, we both found ourselves like separately living in Colorado and, uh, I love the state. Part of me wants to go back. So. Yes. I was going to say, I really like it. Yeah. And I did every time I've heard you guys mention Carl, I was like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> like connections. Yes. Yes. Definitely. It's a great state, you know, sometimes it's a bit expensive, but it's nice. And uh, yeah, for sure. Definitely got the spotlight in politics lately. One of the, one of the fun parts about being in Colorado, but also the lame part sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Sean, Sean, I have a question for you. Is, uh, is my fire a success or a failure? And should I it's a in? failure, David. <laughs> it's not doing good. It keeps, it keeps giving me hope, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it out and then come back, back inside real quick. <laughs> Sounds good. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. Again, well, we have uh, 18 minutes left before we all just give up, David, and yep. end the podcast. Before you all give up on me. I'm being real real safe and not starting a forest fire. So. Yeah. Um, I, but, but, I was really hoping my neighbors would get to hear me reading myths out in the backyard. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I live in a very sm- like a very thin townhouse in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, I just ran into one of my uh, next door neighbors, and I like forewarned him. I was like, "By the way, if I'm out here making stupid voices, reading ancient texts, then you know what it is." So, no, and I, I, I wouldn't hear quite as lively as Sean, but all right, I am running back to the main the main camera. This was a fun experiment. Sean, I forgot my beer, but I feel like I'm wasting everybody's time. So let's let's jump into the myth. Well, we can also hear two of you. <laughs> there we go there we go i am going to read the myth just pretend i'm out by the fire like sean is okay now nidud called the lord of niar where did you get voland lord of the elves this gold of ours in wolfdale the gold was not there in granny's road far i think it is our land from the hills of the rhine i remember that we owned riches greater riches when the couples were all together at home haladgud and hervor children of Hlodver. Olrun and Kiar's daughter were, were famous. She went in right along the hall, stood on the floor and said with a low voice, he's not very friendly, this one, who came out of the forest. King Nadud gave Boldvild, his daughter, the gold ring, which he took from the rope of Voland, and he himself wore the sword, which Voland owned. But the queen said, he bears his teeth when the sword is shown before him, and he recognizes Boldvild's ring. His eyes are like those of a shining serpent, Cut from him the might of his sinews, and afterwards put him in Svarstad. Thus it was done. The sinews were cut through the back of his knees, and he was put on an island near the land called Svarstad. There he made all kinds of treasures for the king, and no man dared to go to him except the king alone. 
John, should I read the later part two of it? Uh, you can do whatever you want. Uh, okay. We can. I'm skipping ahead and we're going to talk about it and analyze it in just a moment. So Sounds good. Tell me, Voland, the Prince of Elves, what became of my healthy young cubs? First, you shall give me all of these oaths by the side of a ship and the rim of a shield and the back of a horse and the edge of a blade that you will not torment Voland's lady, nor be the slayer of my bride, though I have a wife who is known to you and we have a child inside your hall. Go to the smithy, the one you built, and there you will find bellows spattered with the blood. I cut off the heads of your young cubs, and in the mud of the forge I laid their limbs, and their skulls which were under their hair I chased with silver and sent them to Nidud, and the precious stones from their eyes I sent to Nidud's cunning wife, and from the teeth of the two I struck round brooches, sent them to Boldvild, and now Boldvild is with child, the only daughter of you both." little context for our episode this evening. So it seems like we were going to go ahead and just go into the full story now. Or? Let's go into the episode. Yeah. yeah. By the way, this is how uh, most episodes of the podcast start where David and I are just like unprepared. And so we have to do a lot of editing. And uh, I made this joke with one of my coworkers uh, today when I told them what we were doing that uh, um, I'm, I've, I'm so bad at podcasting, but I'm also so good at it in the sense when I'm editing episodes, I know what my ums sound like, or they look like the when I fun. see them coming up. Yeah. So like we, we do a lot of editing after these episodes, so I appreciate it. But David, it sounds like, um, we're going to go ahead and go through the actual story, right? Let's go through and the then, story. Yeah. No, I, I took a lot of the disorganization on myself, so I wouldn't have to, uh, make you read the you, by the fire. You made up for not being able to make a fire. So I appreciate yes. that. Right. Awesome. So Ready. I can get started. Um, and like, I, I know we put this on social media, but uh, one of the stories that we wanted to discuss today is uh, a story called Volandarskitha. And I probably said that very wrong, but it's a story about an elf that is found in the Poetic Edda. So what I like about this is that it's our only story that actually features an elf. Previously, whenever we discuss elves, they're sort of in the backgrounds. They're sort of these beings that are maybe lesser than the gods. Um, but in this case, Volund, the elf, is actually one of the main characters, and he goes through a very interesting story arc, um, one that eventually ends up very sinister, whereas at the beginning of the episode, his intentions may have been very good. Uh, David, how did I do there? Are we ready to go? Sounds good. Yep. Cool. Again, I mentioned that this is found in the Poetic Edda. Um, for this story, uh, for the most part, I, I typically go through Poetic Edda stories um, under Jackson Crawford's translation, um, Kyle Jackson, Dr. Jackson Crawford also lives in Colorado. Um, and so like, that's how I actually got to know who he was. But I also looked at a translation from the Poetic Edda that was made in 1936 by Henry Adams Bellows. So I kind of looked at both stories to see, or both translations, excuse me, to see um, what the actual message is, because often the message can get lost in translation. And David, I think that you may have looked at uh, Catherine Larrington's translation. Carolyn Larrington's. Well, right? yeah. yeah, I always like to look at hers. That, uh, Yeah, she has a very scholarly approach. As actually our friend uh, Chuck here, who was on one episode, we, in that, that episode we talked about how a lot of different ways to translate poetry, right? Are you trying to make it sound like a particular style of poetry, or do you just uh, want to get the literal meaning? But maybe you miss some of the, the beauty of the poetic devices that way. And, uh, but then sometimes they, they weren't going to translate to English anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I see Chuck's here too. I'm, I'm sure he's in the background. He doesn't want to be on camera and that's fine. But uh, I thought that was a very good episode where he just talked about like, if you're translating something from 1200, like the year 1200 or something, like what is the best way to translate it? Is it to do it 
very literal where it may not make sense to like somebody that's in the 21st century or do you not want to uh or do you kind of want to put your own spin on it to make it more applicable to the 21st century so thanks david it's not gonna chuck's not going to speak to you yeah thanks for the thumbs up so anyway in uh volant darth vita which depending on the translation could mean the escape of volant the smith volans being the elf there's a prose introduction to this poem in this prose introduction nithuf was a king in sweden he had two sons and a daughter named Bothfield. There were three brothers of a king of the Finns named Slagvith, Eagle, and Voland. Dr. Jackson Crawford calls the king Finny. So you see like a little, like, like from the start, you see a little uh, note about how it may not be the king of the Finns. It could just be a king named Finny. Henry Adams Bellows mentioned that this was actually the king of the Finns. These three brothers... Egil, Slagfith, and Voland once were on a hunting trip. They came to a place called Ulfdalir that had a lake called Ulfsjar, which, David, I think you also mentioned probably better than I did in the, the little quote that you did from later in the poem. One morning, the three brothers found three women by the lake. These women had swan garments that implied they were actually Valkyries, and, and uh, David, I, yeah. Well, yeah, Larrington mentions that that they had swan garments actually suggests they're not Valkyries because Valkyries don't have a swan garment would be something like a dress you put on and then you get to turn into a swan and fly. That's the way it is with uh, Freya and Loki in the falcon shape or the falcon dress. But um, Larrington thinks they're probably combining two different types of uh, beings, one for maybe a different mythology, maybe something more to the uh, the west of uh, of Norway. And so maybe something like a, a Celtic myth, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know we've discussed this on the podcast and you may know what a Valkyrie is based on uh, the one Valkyrie's uh, role in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. But uh, the Valkyries are the beings that fly on their horses to collect souls of the slain that were impressive enough in battle that Odin would welcome him to his hall in Valhalla. So these Valkyries are eager for, eager for battle because their job is to you know find these fallen soldiers. So two of the Valkyries were daughters of a King Hlothvir. Their names were Flaguth the Swanwhite and Herver the Allwise. And I made a joke here, David, that Allwise sounds like the same name as the dwarf that Thor tricked in the episode that we did, where I believe the title was called Thor Tricks a Dwarf. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway. They're probably combining yeah, el- elves and dwarves, right? And there's some overlap, but some places where they're different beings, right? I think that... That's a good point. So actually, we're going to get to this, but like dwarves are known in Norse mythology and like you can see a good connection to um, Tolkien where the dwarves are very good smiths, like they can build stuff. But in this episode, an elf ends up being a very good smith. And a lot of times people will say in Norse mythology, the elves and the dwarves are very similar. In fact, dwarves may be dark elves, whereas the elves you typically read about are light elves. As I always tell Sean, don't think about it too much. Yeah. Yeah, which I which I do all the time. So, so anyway, the three brothers brought these women, the Valkyries, home with them, where they stayed for seven winters. However, one day the women left to find battles. Again, that's what they do, or at least the follow-up of battles to find soldiers worthy of Valhalla. So, Egil and Slagfith. Once the well, I guess once the Valkyries left, Egil and Slagfith went to find their Valkyries. However, Voland stayed in Alfdalir. He again, he was a skillful smith. King Nithuth 
found out about him and he understood that he was a man of like very good skills as far as smithing. So King Nithuth understood that Volans was a very good smith. And one thing that I wanted to make a note of here as well is that Jackson Crawford mentioned that the three brothers married the Valkyries for seven years. So like on Bellow's translation, you may look at this and say the Valkyries just hung out with these guys, or maybe they did against their will. But it seems like after seven years, and the fact that they were able to leave, maybe they were married, but they just had to go do their uh, do their calling and find souls of the slain in battle. It's, um, it's also the interesting thing to look at old translations. Sometimes, you know, whether it's 1930s or you go even further back to kind of more Victorian times, people are very uh, conservative. So they're like, nothing improper here happened at all, right? That would be <laughs> the, the old way of looking at it. And that Larrington mentioned as well, these might be two different myths. So this one of the, the swan women um, might be one myth and Volan the Smith might be a second myth that they, maybe it is the same character or maybe not. And that's uh, always the fun contradictions of Norse mythology. You usually can't know the real answer. But, uh... Very fun things, which is why two idiots on a podcast like you and I, David, can talk about it and people find it captivating. So, And, and I, can, I can make up things and it's not so uh, unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so that ends the prose section of this poem. So Volund, his wife left, or his companion, the Valkyrie, left. And instead of leaving like his two brothers did, he decides to stay. And we'll see why in a second, but King Nithuth finds out about him and says, this guy has the ability to like forge things of great value. And King Nithuth looks at him as somebody that he may want to, you'll see. But anyway- yeah. I so wanted to get... comment that uh, Judy left a comment that uh, is this the same name as Wayland, as in Wayland's Smithy, an ancient location in the UK. And so that was actually in a, uh, a footnote in Larrington's version. Something about the type of weapon they make the, that that Voland makes is tied to an old word related with that Wayland Smithy. So without me pulling out the book, that's as much as I could remember. But yeah, it's, those are the kind of tangents I love to send Sean on. Yeah. Well, no, it, it's fine. Like in the copy of the Poetic Edda, again, Jackson Crawford's translation that I have right here, he talks about it before it gets into the prose introduction. And he mentions that this story, like in, in the poetry written by Scandinavians, um, like 800, 900 years ago, like they talk about Volan the Smith, but this is like actually a pretty similar story that you find in all of Europe. And he did say that one of the names for Voland is Wayland. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think... That then goes to, as, as uh, Judy's noting, it's a, tied to a location in the UK so that these swan women that are not consistent with a lot of Norse mythology are probably more Anglo-Saxon mythology, right? That's a good, if you wanted to get into that detail, you read Carolyn Larrington. If you don't, you can read a, a more concise version, but I like to know exactly what myth, mythology. Hey, how's it going? Sorry, my other neighbors just walked by, so it's, it's <laughs> Um, but no, that, that's one of the really cool things. And also my uh, my golden retriever is out here. Her name is Toby. And I, like, I put her on uh, social media a lot, but we have another dog, um, a Labradoodle. His name is Waylon. And like, whenever I mention that to somebody, they say, oh, is it like Waylon Jennings? Um, and I'm like, I don't know who that is. Um, but my wife's dog, who now like I also inherited is inside. He barks. So we left him inside, but his name is Waylon. And that reminds me of this poem. So he's, he's Waylon the Smith now. Yeah. We'll say yes. Waylon Smith. That's a great name for him. By the way, everybody, I'm not sure if anybody brought a drink, but uh, now that I finished my martini, I'm actually going to, David, do you have yours? Yeah. That's what I was going to see. How long you're going to be this. talking? I'll, I'll go. I'm going to go grab my beer. Yeah. So real quick. Uh, I know uh, I'm not sure if anybody listens to the Nordic mythology podcast, but uh 
Um, one of the co-hosts of that has a company called Horns of Odin in England, and he makes drinking horns. And he actually, along with this Saxon storyteller on Instagram, he created this logo for us. Um, David's is very similar, but it has a raven looking the other way. And so I think, David, we decided that we're going to drink out of this tonight. So I guess David's gone. Is he gone again? Is he trying to make his fire? Oh, there he is. Had to go to the kitchen. The, the cool. whole plan was I start the fire in the backyard and then I could grab a beer out of the kitchen on the way there without What's getting too what? sidetracked on drinks. I'm having a Varsteiner, which is a, I don't want to put it too close to my keyboard, but Varsteiner oh. made, made in Germany. You should both hold them up so we can see the two Ravens. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Let's do it. And cheers Let's to see. Sean. What's going to be funny is I like, I, I sometimes communicate with the two hosts of that podcast every now and then on Instagram. And it's going to be funny if he sees this and he says, you can't drink out of that. You idiot. It's going to ruin it. And like, <laughs> I'm going to be like, shit. I listen no, to that podcast up. too. You I mean you can't drink out of them? No, no I'm no. sure you can, but like, oh. it's just going to be funny. because like, those are for decoration. Oh. Like, no, no. Well, they, they- they line it with beeswax so that you don't taste the cow horn. That's the secret. <laughs> that's good. It's, I'm sure that's got good protein, David. So I'm, I wish we could taste it. But yeah. anyway, yeah, this is it. Like, I, I think it's really cool, David. I haven't done this before. So cheers. Yeah. Oh, cheers. cheers. Does anybody else have a drink? Uh, I, I don't. I, I had one in the kitchen, but I don't drink it with me. So. It's a good. You're, you're holding something more important than a drinking horn, and you have a cat. So it's all, all right. good. I was going to say, yeah, I'm in a, in a setup where if I did have a drink, it probably gets spilled real easy. So. <laughs> no, Sean, it's I similarly did not, did not drink anything from it until uh, we were together on the show. So Yeah, although I just poured the, uh, by the way, like I don't have a really, I have a very basic like American boy drink. It's the 60 minute IPA. I am like the stereotypical guy that goes into bars and says, hey, do you have any good IPAs on tap? And then they'll give me a list of 40 of them. And then I'll be like, oh, you have 60 minute. I'm going to take that. And I've had 60 minute all the time, but I no. poured it in here. And it's like, I think this much is foam right now. Um, so yeah. we'll see what there's, happens. I think there's definitely a technique we need to learn of uh, not making too much foam, but I'm working on it. Yeah. Daniel Ferrand from the Nordic mythology podcast is pretty pissed off. Probably. There, there was an episode <laughs> where he was doing what we're doing and he's dropped a beer, not quite on his computer, but all over his desk and stuff. And it was one of the, they all laughed. We, we laughed while we were listening to him. But, yeah. yeah. But anyway, cheers, David. I love you, man. Cool. And like, yeah, it's really cool that we get to do this. Like we never thought we would actually have fans uh, for this podcast. So I think it's cool that like anybody actually cares about what we have to say. And like, I think on last I checked on Apple, we're close to like 900 subscribers, Instagram, we're at 1600. And like the fact that anybody says like, oh, these guys have something to say that I like where I'm going to subscribe, even if I don't listen like all the time, it's pretty fucking cool, right? It was my weird idea that we have to buy these. And then once we buy them, now we have to do a fireside video chat. So sort of keeping ourselves <laughs> accountable. And uh, you've, you've held me accountable. Like I've always been afraid of speaking in front of people. And you've brought this up every episode for the last three weeks, like yes. three months, I'd say. So thanks. To make Sean uncomfortable is part of my goal. Yeah. I'm always uncomfortable. So it's all good. <laughs> um, but anyway, so cheers, David. We'll get into the actual stanzas. Thank you, Sean. Yes. And I... Uh, or two I wanted to read, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the stanzas in this poem actually go back to a little bit before the ending of the prose introduction or the prose introduction in this, this story. So the, the three Valkyries were heading north through Mirkwood and they paused by a lake, Lake Ulfjar. Each one of them married Eagle, Slagfith, and Volans. They stayed there for seven winters, 
though they were eager to judge battles and find dead recruits for Valhalla, as I mentioned earlier. So they left to Mirkwood, which Mirkwood being a, another um, shout out by Tolkien in his work. So Egil went to search for Ulrun, the Valkyrie, while Slagfin went to search for Hlaghuth, also the Valkyrie. Voland remained in Ulfdalir, creating jewelry and displayed them on a rope in an effort to woo his Valkyrie back home. So as opposed to going out to look for his potentially wife, he decided to draw her back by putting these this jewelry on a rope so somebody could see it and come back, or like so she could see it and come back. There's, there's something and, uh, David, interesting do there. you have a note here? Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't spend too much time. I like to sometimes, you know, interpret the myth on the fly, right? This part that the two of them went out searching for the woman, but he stayed at home, right? Very much like the introvert, right? That he's staying there, smithing. Uh, it's something I'll come back to at the end, but there's the book by, it's called The the Goddess, or well, there's The Goddess in Every Woman and The God in Every Man by Jean Shinoda Bolin. And one of the gods she talks about is Hephaestus. So she does all the Greek gods, but this idea of the man who, you know, enjoys sitting in his workshop, right? He's not, he's not really interested in talking to other people. He's just at home there. He retires. He's happy in his workshop. That is the archetype of uh, Hephaestus. And that is very much an introverted kind of personality archetype. Uh, I'll explain that now, but I'll come back to it later. So I just like the scene of describing, you know, in detail him smithing. Volan sat alone in Wolfdale. He struck red gold about a firm set gem. He closed up all the serpent rings well. So he waited for his shining woman, if she were to make her way back to him. Nidud heard, Lord of the Nirar, that Voland sat alone in Wolfdales. By night men journeyed, and their corslets studded, their shields glinted in the waning moon. He's out there smithing, making something for, for his bride, and then somehow the king finds out about this and isn't happy about it. So this is a very you know, dark, tyrannical kind of king. It's not the good king archetype, it's the, the shadow king. Uh, little things were uh, i'll build towards you know what yeah. i'm doing with that later yeah king nithuth uh hears about something and he wants it oh and, and sean, so every... that, that sean okay. says nithuth and i say nidude it's not just for us to be difficult that there's the two different th sounds in norse and the old translation is spelling it as th but it's like a dh sound is the actual norse symbol uh so nithud is maybe the way we think we say it you're probably correct. I'm very bad at this stuff. And I think it's easier to say than Nithuth. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely is. Nidude is probably much better. Yeah, anyway, thank you, David. Um, so, up oh, here we go. We got somebody else entering. One second. Right. So, King Nidude, I'm going to go with your, your version, David, really quick. It's easier to say, um, right? Yeah, yeah it is. The king, let's just say the king, learns of Volan's treasures and orchestrated a plot to kidnap him. He sent his men to Volan's place where they noticed 700 golden rings strung together on the rope, the rope that I just mentioned. The men were only able to steal one ring when Volan returned home. So they see him coming home and then they, they like hide when they see him come home. And Volan starts cooking a bear. He gets home and he starts making dinner. It really makes me wonder. I don't know if Judy would know. I expect Judy to know. <laughs> she knows all kinds of things, Greek and Latin and things. I don't know if she'll know about the old Norse, but that is eating a bear weird, right? Like bears probably, generally, my understanding, they don't taste great. Is there something significant about him being an odd wild man eating a bear? What do you think, Judy? Uh, it's possible, but also 
even in um, like Plutarch's natural questions in, in sort of natural science co context in ancient literature, there are things like, um, you know, why do the paws of bears taste like whatever? So obviously, <laughs> obviously it wasn't unknown for them to be, be eaten as, yeah. as, as, you know, as food, but I don't know how common it would have been. So it, I, it I probably don't, means something. Yeah. yeah. It probably means something, right. As you say in that, that, yeah, it's, they're trying to make a point, but yeah, I don't know what it is yeah. off the top of my head. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't be more helpful. That. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny. <laughs> Judy, you're more helpful than anything David and I have ever said on this podcast, so we appreciate it. It, it helps me not just make up stuff. <laughs> Someone holds me accountable. Oh, yeah, there's a bear. It must mean something, yeah. Yeah, but he's a real hunter. I mean, he killed a bear to eat it, right? So that's, yeah, he's quite a quite a hunter. I'll, I'll give myself that one. Yeah. So, so anyway, Volans had his dinner, he ate the bear. Then he sat and he noticed one of his golden rings was missing. Again, the rings that King Nidud's men stole. He believed that it was his wife who must have taken it. He waited for her so long that he fell asleep. However, when he woke, he found himself in change as Nithu's men, his men, the king's men has taken him while he slept. And that's the scene where I, roughly where I started at the beginning of the episode, right? Where he's they're asking him, where did you get this gold? Why do you have all these gold rings? You're, you know, you're in the king's kingdom. Uh, you must have stolen it, right? This is the thing they uh, choreographed, right? To capture him. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't pay his like uh, taxes or whatever, right. something like that. Yeah. And, um, the, and the reference in there, well, there, I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead, Sean. Okay, cool. So yeah, um, like asked Volan where he got his treasures from. Volan then makes a joke where he stated something along the lines of, what he had was nothing like Sigurd's gold. And David, I see you have a note here, but like when it comes to the character Sigurd, this is a main character in a story that we're going to be telling soon. Um, we have somebody else centering. I got it. A main character that we're going to be telling soon on the saga of the Volsungs, where one of the main characters was Sigurd of the House of Volsung. Um, and the... Sigurd. Yeah, go ahead, David. That, that in my translation, the, the way they said it was that, you know, I didn't get that gold on Granny's road, that Granny is Sigurd's horse. So it's this real play on words that you have to really know all these other myths to know what he's talking about there. But he's saying, you know, I, I didn't get it on Granny's road. I didn't get it from the Rhine. We're very, we're very far from the Rhine here. I can't possibly have taken Sigurd's gold. Is um, You have to know a lot of things to get that out of those, those lines I read at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes the poems jump around where it's not obvious to, to us what they're talking about. So he says, he says, I remember when we owned greater riches, when the couples were all together at home. So when the three brothers had their three swan women together, we had greater riches than all of this gold I have piled up here, is what he's saying. Excuse me, I did not make that connection. Um, Carolyn Larrington um, explains it. Yeah, I'm not that smart. When, so like you're saying, like when uh, at this point, he was like he like Volans understood that he had a lot of gold, but he understood that his life was more meaningful when he had the Valkyrie, the woman in his life. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. He's sort of trying to downplay it. He's like, it's not really that much gold. I'd almost maybe like take the gold and leave me, right? That I'd I'd rather have the love of uh the woman. That's sure. the only reason he's doing all this smithing, right? Yeah. So yeah, definitely. So anyway, Nithu's queen then enters and makes a comment. And again, depending on the translation, it, it kind of means that Volans clearly is unhappy or untrustworthy. So King Dithuth then takes Volans' sword and gives one of the rings to his daughter, Bothfield. So Princess Bothfield, Bothfield excuse me. Yeah. 
His wife, the queen, suggests cutting Volan's legs off to prevent him from causing more treachery. So it is done. And in my translation, it's clarifying the way they say it. Uh, so they're saying, you know, he's not very friendly. This one who came out of the forest. That goes back to this idea of, you know, he's a wild man eating bear, right, in the forest. She doesn't like the look of him. Part of it is the way he looks at the ring they're putting on their daughter's finger, right? That they're, they're stealing his, the ring he made for his wife. And that he has an attitude about it. They're, you know, that's what they're using against him. That he, he has a eyes like a serpent. I think they said, and that they're they're going to cut from him the might of his sinews, which is basically cutting the back of your legs so you can't carry any weight on your legs. So they don't take his legs off, but they uh, hamstring him. I believe is the term. Yeah, definitely. And so, by the way, on the on the podcast when we edit it, like after David says something, and I go into like something that I have to say it's usually cut off by um or yeah, or yeah, definitely. And so I've made a good habit of just saying that and then taking a break. So I know when to cut it out in the actual editing, but sometimes it sticks around. So it's all good. But I, I appreciate all of you for dealing with my- So we have time to get, so we have time to get back on track and stuff. Yes, time. yes, definitely. Um, so Volans gets his legs cut off and he was placed on an island called Saversoth, Saverstoth, excuse me, where he was stuck because he did not have his leg. He did not have his legs at this point, and he was forced to continue creating more treasures for King Githuth. That uh, sorry, I'm seeing Jay, Jay had a comment that this should be called a uh, behind two ravens because we're getting the real behind the scenes. Thanks, thanks, Jay. <laughs> Good point, God Jay. damn it. That uh, we've known Jay for a while now, so I can say I can say God damn it. And there, it's fine. No, but that idea, right? That he's now stuck on here and he has to make treasures for the king. They also say that no one would approach him except the king. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole story of Iron John or Iron uh, Johan, but it's this this folktale again that was spread all over through Europe and even further, where no one approaches the wild man, nobody approaches Iron John. Uh, they're, they're almost all too afraid, except the prince will eventually. So that's uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll talk about it at the end, or it might be me going too far off off uh, script. But... No, it's all good. So Volan's on this island. He does not have legs, so he's stuck, and he's forced to make these um, these jewels by the king. So he then goes goes ahead and states his frustrations to himself about what has taken been what has been taken from him. Primarily, he talks about his sword on King Nithil's belt, and then Bothfield having his ring, the king's daughter, a ring that was meant for his Valkyrie wife, Herver. So one day, Nithu's sons, two princes, came to the island to see Volan's treasures. Volan showed them the contents of the treasure chest. He told the princes that he would give them all the gold from the chest as long as they told nobody about this arrangement. So the next day, the princes came to the islands, and when they peered inside the chest again, Volan had cut their heads off. He hid their bodies but sent their skulls to King Nithuth to be used for cups. He made their eyes into jewels for the queen. He also made ornaments from their teeth for their sister, the princess Bothfield. And that was a part, a part I was reading a bit at the beginning where he, yeah, he makes, makes their heads into cups. I'm also imagining the scene where they look into the chest and he just slams the lid down and it takes their heads off, right? I think that's definitely my uh, poetic license to make it that dramatic. But he puts their bodies under his forge. And whether there's something that's a magical significance of that, you know, what he's imbuing into the things he makes after. But also then that the king later has to go and find his son's bodies. And it's basically like 
you made me, you know, do this smithery. Here's what you uh, wrought upon yourself. Sorry, thanks, David. We have a we have a sheet here that we uh, share on Google. So Google Sheets and David often like highlights when I'm trying to like find my place. So I thank you. We do we do have a script. Yeah, we're not entirely. Yeah, off thank script. you for that, David. This happens every episode. So Bothfield brought a broken ring of Volans to him. So I think it's the ring that the king gave to his daughter Bothfield, and it broke. So Bothfield brought it back to Volans um, to be repaired, most likely. And at this point, I'm guessing, based on how the poems like set up, that she does not know that her brother's heads were cut off, or that they're just missing. Right? They've been probably missing for a while. But yeah, yeah. maybe she knows that they're missing, um, or something like that. But like, she doesn't. I, I'm I'm guessing that she does not realize that she's going to the killer of her brothers. So Voland claimed that he would fix the ring, so that she would look amazing, and then he gives her a beer so much beer that she eventually passed out. Volan then, to say the least, is proud of what he ends up doing in revenge for the lay for his legs to King Nithuth. And I was going to continue, David, but I see you made a note here. I got a couple of different thoughts. One, one that's actually just struck me as we're kind of, you know, as I said, interpreting the myth on the fly, that they gave his wife's wedding ring to their daughter, right? So they didn't intend to be giving their daughter away. Um, and I was talking to Sean before the show that, that no, I don't think Voland is Loki. I usually say everybody's Odin and everybody's Loki, but that Voland is that same trickster archetype. That there's something about he gets fate back on track. Right? As I said earlier, like this is what well, this is what the king asked for, and, and he didn't know that was the full cost of what he was asking for. But that is part of it. That he maybe you know this a uh, deal with the devil kind of thing, right? And he gave his daughter away to this uh, elven dwarven smith. I'm also going to load something up, Sean, but I'll let you talk for a minute while I try to get this. Yeah, I, yeah. I see you put a link there about a yeah. A whalebone? What is it? Yeah. So this is a. Can everybody see that? Yeah, we can. It's this uh, cask or a chest that is carved out of whalebone, and the whole scene of the myth is carved into there. So it's a little too hard to see. I'll have to put it. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes or something. Um, there's a bunch of runes written on it, and they're basically showing this part where he's he's smithing there. The brothers are coming to ask about something. Something he's doing with like holding uh, some swans by the neck, and they say that's maybe actually a different version that we don't have. Uh, that he's getting swan wings to do something with, but that the craftsmanship that went into this cask, right. And that they really liked this myth about the Smith who was uh, abused and gets his revenge. There's something very speaks to there. I think also just while I'm, while I'm interrupting, I wanted to mention Rocco had a comment earlier about this, uh, the the hero's journey and this, you know, the, the, uh, he mentioned Gilgamesh and the, and the wild man. Yeah. Being tied. So the idea that the wild man is sort of the mentor to the, the hero or the, the young man who's not quite a hero <laughs> and Simon loves the drinking horn. Yeah. No, I haven't quite finished mine. So I'm, I'm only just sipping on it. No, that, I'm very excited. It's very, it's very, it sucks. Cause like I need to put more like more wood on my fire, but at the same time, I can't put this anywhere. Cause I don't have a stand for it. We didn't get, yeah. You're supposed to get a stand that you can sit it into and we don't have that. So it's a little more challenging. I'm going to have to look into a stand. I think um, David, this or, is symbolic of the lack of preparation that we have for many of our podcast episodes and, where and I'm like, just need- I can't put, Fire yeah, you just on the need fire to finish for the fireside jack because I can't. <laughs> put this Rocco down. said what I was about to say, which is, or you just need to finish the beer. That's the other. That's the other part. <laughs> I'll chug it. I'll chug it. I'll make another martini because I finished martini before this. But I, you know, I think one I'm of our nervous. one of our goals of season three is really looking at some of the sagas, really getting back into heroes' journeys. So I will at some point we'll do an episode. I'll connect why this Volan story is uh, connects to that. <laughs> we have we have pure pressure, pure pressure uh, cheering us on. 
Cool. I, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that because I have my screen open to my notes on the on the episode. But anyway, thanks, David. Um, the edge is weird, and I do not want it pouring all down my face. The, the skull. Oh yeah, skull. By the way, I kind of do like your horn now. Like I like the black with the. Uh, oh, I really like lining. it. Yeah. Although I really love they did a white one and a black one. Right. That's perfect. Yeah. I don't know. Like. See, I think I might have actually, a tiny bit. Tiny I'm bit next to you, so like. <laughs> my my like David, you put your raven up. Mine is actually facing yours right now. There we go. I could take mine. a screenshot of it, but I can't because I had to hold this because I didn't get a stamp. <laughs> I, really, I really had to decide whether I want to fly with it out to uh, Maryland so we can bring them back together. We can reunite the horns, but I feel like TSA won't really appreciate me bringing a horn through security. <laughs> uh, so you're not going to do it. Okay, it's fine. No, I don't think so. Anyway. The pouring so, down the beard is essential. I'm far too uh, cautious to be a Viking. I like that everybody encourages us to be fully off off, uh, off topic, off script. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So eventually, on this island, um, Bolins did something, probably a sinister intentions, and the Princess Buthfield left the island and cried. So at this point, it's weird, because Bolins was then able to somehow travel to the king, it seems perhaps by flight. So again, this guy, Bolins, does not have any legs because the king cut them off. He was stuck on this island, but at this point, he's able to fly and if anybody listens to our podcast, they know that when it's convenient for the story, people can automatically fly if they have like a costume or if they just happen to be able to do it by magic. So anyway, the, the one answer is, as I, as I said earlier, don't think about it too much, but Larrington gave two other possibilities. One is that the ring that was meant for his swan woman gives him swan dress like powers to transform into a swan so that he got his wife's wedding ring back by sleeping with the king's daughter now he can be a swan or they say there's another version that's called Thedric's saga where volan's brother eagle arrives and he shoots down some swans so that's why in the chest they're, they're strangling some swans and then he makes a flying machine from the wings of the swans so it's kind of like a uh, flies too close to the sun uh yeah i drank the beer now so i can't remember the myth that should be obvious to me but uh to make the wings and you can fly right is and that's what the smith does right so i think yeah i like you can be creative with the different Place to go. Well, Icarus, everyone I, got it. Not, <laughs> but anyway, so Volan flies off the islands. He seems to have found Nithu's quarters in his castle and then speaks to him. Nithu states that he hasn't slept since his son's death, who Volan killed, and states that he wished he had never fucked with Volan. The king asks Volan about how his sons met their fates. So before telling him, Volan made the king promise he would not harm his new lover, even if she were his kin. And I think we all see where this is going. And the, yeah, the suspense builds, right? This, this, is a, this is a fun thing in at least two or three myths I'm thinking of where they're, they're building the suspense, right? Volan tells the king he, cuts, he cut his son's heads off and left their bodies beneath the bellows. He states what he did to their eyes and teeth as well. He then stated that Princess Vothfield, the king's daughter, is now pregnant with his child. And as I read in the beginning, he really rubs it in. He's like, now you have no sons and now you will raise my son, right? That's that's yeah. his uh, real plan, right? Yeah. Yes. So the king then states if, that if only he'd reach up to the clouds where apparently Volan was flying, he would torture him more than any man had ever been tortured. So Volan laughs and flies away. Nithuth then summons his daughter and asked her if what Volan said was true. Vothfield admits it, and what she states was that she did not have the power to resist him. 
depending on the translation, you can make your guess as to what happens, but it seems based on either the alcohol or some elven witchcraft, she may have been raped. The, the wording they use is, um, I did not know how to strive against him. And there's another thing is that one of one of Odin's powers is uh, seduction, right? Seduction magic. So that goes back. I'm not going to say that it's Odin, right? But uh, inspired by. And there's another place, as, as John's saying, you know, is this uh, sexual assault or, I mean, he gets her drunk. But th there's a line in stanza 29 where Bolvild went from the island and she grieved for her lover's departure and her father's fury. Right. So like the, the big fear is she says it's her lover's departure, whether she actually sees him that way is questionable. But then, that yeah, she's really afraid what her father is going to think. Right. That he took her virginity. She can't be married off to anybody else now and left her with a, a bastard child. Right. Which is a serious offense at the time. Sean, any other thoughts here at the end? I mean, that that ends the uh, actual poems. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this elf Vullens who is living his life. He is trying to win back his wife who has work to do and this king in sweden and one thing i made i made a note of in like a previous episode whereas at this point in time a king in sweden does not necessarily mean the king of sweden because it, like you can look at it as like a petty king so nithuth was a king in sweden who had all this power and he wanted something that didn't belong to him and it kind of like corrupted this elf volant and uh and rocco this is the poem volud volud arkvitha from the poetic edda so it's voland the smith or the the escape of voland the smith and so i can tell from some of your interpretations or comments right that it's a very dark myth it's not as bad as the one with uh with Freyr and what is Freyr's manservant i like this one better because i mean they kind of deserved it at least the king and the queen right that that's that there's a little more morality to this one than just Freyr saying, go out and find me a woman, right? And that one has very little morality, but it does get yeah. very dark. Yeah. So Sean, what, what's sort of your take before I give you my I, actual like interpretation on some of it? So like, again, I think I mentioned this earlier, like if we look at the, the idea of elves in Norse mythology, they are considered like lesser than, than the gods, but they are good people, I guess. And if you look at Voland, who he's living his life, he has a wife, perhaps, or he has a lover for seven years, she leaves and he just tries to like, say, I'm going to make these rings in the hope that she comes back. And this king, this greedy king of men says, well, I'm going to take you because you can make these rings and I can get rich. And that like corrupts him. And I'm wondering, like, if you look at the idea of a man like humanity has done great things, but they've done horrible things. Like I'm wondering if this is just like what humanity can do to corrupt somebody that may be pure or like what society that builds somebody up to be a king can do to somebody that may be pure to the point where they are like capable of this like horrible, these horrible actions. Like he, he really fucks over it. Like he, he screws over the king. The king deserves it, but the king's kids do not. Yeah. Like his sons were just like saying, oh yeah, like show us your gold. He cuts his head off and his daughter is like, you know, oh, my it, ring. Yeah. yeah There's that line that nobody was supposed to approach him except the king. And then the sons went ahead and did it. Right. That, um, and the one I was talking about, uh, Iron, Iron John or Iron Johan, that the king tells his son, he's not supposed to approach the wild man. But the prince does, and it goes well. 
So that goes back. There's some mythologies that are very different. They, they find the hope. They find how things are supposed to go. They're, the Norse mythology is always about the shadow, right? It is always the tyrannical king who he wants what he wants and he takes it, right? He takes the gold rings. I'm sorry, John, I interrupted you. No, that was it. Like, I mean, I, I feel like like if you look at the idea of like humanity, we have a lot of great things about us, but like there's greed yeah. there. And like, you know, like that kind of like has the ability to like, say I'm going to do something and somebody else may negatively be impacted about like uh, impacted by it more ways than we can understand. Yeah. In this case, like Volan, the Smith, he didn't do anything, but he got like his legs cut off and he's like, well, I'm going to get wrench. You know, Sean, Sean always mentions no. how the, so many of the myths are about fate and right. All these interconnected pieces that don't make sense. And it's good that I chugged the beer because now I'm making new connections. I probably wouldn't make otherwise that, he stayed home and made gold rings, right? What happened to his brothers that went out to pursue the swan women, right? I don't know. I'm not sure if we ever get that right info, but did he do the right thing? Staying home and right, just playing with his gold rings rather than going out and being a warrior. So this idea that he's the lover, he's in love with a swan woman, but does he learn how to be a warrior or does he become the magician who sits at home and tinkers like an alchemist in his workshop, right? That So that part that, and Sean picked it up as he said, he's like, David, you're going to tell me this is Loki, aren't you? Right, but it's not—he's not necessarily Loki, but he is the shadow magician, uh, trickster archetype. With those kind of the shadow of the magician, one of them is can be the trickster. And he has this cunning and ruthlessness, right? He did—he maybe didn't start that way, but he has it very quickly. Um, he also has this charming magic of Odin, and that Odin is kind of the king of the Norse gods, but he's also really the magician. He's, he's a Mercury who goes to the underworld. Let's see. Before I go on a too big of a tangent, that Rocco was mentioning uh, Hephaestus, as I said earlier, right from that the gods in every man book. That Hephaestus is the smith, and that's the interesting thing. He has a club foot. So in that the book by uh, Jean Shinoda Bolin, she explains how. So Hephaestus was born to Hera, the queen. He's not Zeus's child. He's not a bastard. That Hera just created him out of nowhere. She's just like, I want to be pregnant one day, and she had Hephaestus. But then probably out of that magic, he's born with a club foot. And then she rejects him and she throws him off Olympus. And, and then he sits in the underworld and he's a smith, right? So that he's this, you know, resentful, dwar- uh, dark elf, dwarven character like Voland here. A lot of that fifth fits. You know, there's something good about it, but there's something that's, you know, that's not the right path to take or it's uh, too extreme. There's something good about the man that can go, right, and be introverted and, and focus on um, himself, but, but not too much. Sean, what are your thoughts? I might open it up to people before I go on a tangent about the wild man and Iron John, but... Sean, what do you take as the meaning, right? What what this tells you about your personality? Like, because I'm saying, you know, should you be a tyrannical king or should you be a magician or should you be a smith, right? Or what is it to be a proper kind of warrior lover uh, figure? But, I don't know. Like, I I feel like if you're if you're looking at this as like like what archetype do you want to be? Like, I feel like archetypes are like every archetype is in every person, so it's really hard to say. But like in this case. I feel like we all strive to be a good person, but like if something horrible happens to us, like we're probably going to do some shitty things. Like that's, that's who we are. Right. Like if something happens to us, like where this like monarch takes off our legs, we're going to be pissed off. And we're like, you know what? I lost my wife. I can't go after her. I'm going to fuck over this King that ruined my life. After, after Voland, you know, loses his legs and he's trapped in the tower and he loses his wife. And then he, gets to do this great re- grand reveal to the king who was like good for him does anybody have that feeling or am i the weird one that admits that out loud? but it is to, to look at the shadow right the, yeah you get pushed that far there's a part of you that'll go there 
Um, maybe you shouldn't, right? But for a lot of reasons, um, that is part of the human condition. As John said, it's, yeah, these are all parts of, all these archetypes are parts of a person. The goal is to be a little more balanced. Any any extreme of them is going to cause problems, but then sometimes you find great riches when you go you know, to the extreme or go to the underworld. So that's- So you think that balance has gone into the underworld? Because of what happened to him. So that's, you know, as, as he, as he has the, the woman come down to his Smith and it's very much like the first, one of the first poems we did was uh, the meat of poetry where Odin goes into the cave, into the, the giant's uh, lair and sleeps with his wife. And then he gets to steal the meat of poetry. Right. So he gets these great riches by doing something very, you know, underhanded. Right. Yeah. That's why we all have poetry. So <laughs> according to the Norse, yeah. I wanted to open up to other people. I've, I could go on weird things about, but maybe those are left for another episode. Anybody else? What do you think this myth means or what do you take from it? Yeah. What, what, was, your, what was your favorite part? What was your least favorite part? Well, for myself, I have, I guess, more questions than uh, like thoughts or anything yeah. like that. But um, I, I definitely kind of wonder if, uh, I was kind of wondering, because the whole talking about the lover, but yeah, he's potentially a, a rapist. I'm wondering... In that time period in that um, society, would it be kind of similar to some of the other uh, patriarchal societies where sometimes staying with a rapist is more or less shameful than uh, as if he were to leave? And it's like now all of a sudden, yes, I am a, you know, someone who's taken advantage of and I have this child that, you know, doesn't have a legal dad per se or legitimate. Yeah. I'm definitely wondering if that's something that kind of ties in with that. that it's, it's definitely a thing, right? The, the cultural, and it's a thing me and Sean, I think often kind of skirt around, right? But, but the cultural context that, you know, what was the place of women in the year 900 or the year 1000, right? In Nordic societies. Right. But, but also that idea that, yeah, the lover archetype isn't often well represented. As we went through all the stories of the gods, that prayer is, you know, a, a pale shadow of what the <laughs> lover archetype looks like. And, and me and Simon, when we did an inter- interview, talked a bit about like, is the lover kind of the mystic. So the, the mystic is different than the magician, right? And what is it right. that that is? Um, you know, there's mythologies that really have the female lover, uh, Aphrodite for the Greeks, right? And what is the male lover? It's an interesting one. So uh, actually, yeah, that Hephaestus is married to Aphrodite. I forget how he manages that, right? But that she's the goddess of beauty and he's this, you know, sort of dwarven misshapen guy and he marries the goddess of beauty. Yet she constantly is cheating on him with Ares because he's the god of war and he's very muscular. But they mentioned he's also a good dancer. He's not just angry. He's passionate and a dancer. And that's what she loves about him. And, and poor Hephaestus. Yeah, there's <laughs> plenty to say there. But yeah, that maybe the Norse mythologies don't capture the lover. So people interested in the archetypes from the Norse mythology. I don't know. Yeah, the question, what is the shadow lover? Is maybe something like um, you're saying that take a you know take women. Uh, actually, from Robert Moore, it's, it's the addict. The, the Don Juan who is addicted to one woman and now I'm on to the next. And none of the... Right. You know, the this isn't enough. I'm on to the next one. Um, and then he flies away, right? Even though yeah, he's got the bastard child and he could stay. He's like, nope. You know, as he said, right, this could be honorable if he stayed, but it will not be. He's flying away, right? And, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, what we learned from it, right? That's, I haven't gone there on right. that one yet. But, yeah. Like that Thank one you, song, that one song, uh, uh, shoot, it comes up in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Anyway. I know you guys make some Marvel comments, but um one of the guys, all he does is just trying to impregnate all a bunch of people. Yeah. But there's a, a song where, and it's a pretty popular song from a while back. I can't remember. It's talking about the, the lover of the sea. 
You know, like I could have this woman, but my love is the sea. Oh you know? god, I know the actor too. Oh, this- like who's the yeah. who's the guy from the Miracle movie, the hockey the hockey movie? The actor. Like I feel like that was him. Yeah, it's and the name is just right there on my on my mind. I'm just like Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, Kurt thanks. Russell. Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck, thank you. Chuck, is the song uh, Otis Redding? Am I getting that right? Uh, I don't remember what song's in that. I thought it was... Um, no, it's, it's, Brandy. it's Brandy. It's yeah. Brandy by Looking Glad. Brandy, thank oh you, Jay. We had Jay here thank for a reason. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, that's there's a very set number of decades the song would be from. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> and that's what... I'm definitely yeah, going, right here for that. I'm going further back. You know, there's so many... Uh, songs blues songs and rock songs that are, you know uh, papa was a rolling stone and all these you know the i'm a rambling man right and all these things right that right i don't know it's the it's archetype showing back up in our modern music uh, if it's not in the the poetry and that these these were all poems read by a scald you know the, the, the scaldic poets traveled town to town they went to the king's hall and told these stories so it wasn't just uh, you reading out of a book of poetry it was i'm sure done uh, dramatically and then they finally tried to write them down so since I went ahead and talked, I actually have another question thought about something you were talking about in terms of um, balance or extremes. Did it? So I know that I think that's like a ancient Greek thing, the idea of the humors and like how they, they thought that was like how they thought of biology and physiology was a very literal sort of balance of things. Did I don't know if the Norse had something like that, but it's really interesting. It feels more interesting and more complex to me to be like, yeah, generally balance is good. Sometimes. <laughs> go a little nuts in one direction or another and see what happens. That feels just like, and from what I know of Norse, like from the, the myths you guys have talked about and the ones I'm aware of, like that feels right to me, that that's, there's kind of a cantankerous spirit to, to behind the general thoughts of ethics and balance. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, with the, uh, thank you, Chuck, the, the Zeus, uh, Zeus for the Greeks, he's the, the king of the gods. He's, you know, supposed to be like the God you look up to in Christianity. Right. But he just cheats on his wife constantly and gets everyone pregnant. Right. That's what Zeus does that. You're not supposed to admire him, right? You, you don't look up to him. He's too extreme. He's beyond, uh, you know, human mortals, right? That I think within the Norse, I don't know a ton on the Norse spirituality, but I think with a lot of pagan spiritualities, you know, you think of a uh, Taoism and Yin and Yang, that there is a balance. Things will be balanced out. You can do certain things, right? You can you can ask for too much, and there will be a cost to pay. You, you can steal all this gold off of this poor guy waiting for his uh, swan woman to show up, and then you're daughter's getting married off and your sons are had their heads chopped off right and that's oh maybe don't ask for too much right that's kind of yeah just, I, don't know. I mean the, the vibe i get from from norse mythology from listening to to what you guys talk about is like it's something like the other mythologies in that respect there's like this sort of edge of almost fatalism to it of you know but we're all here to 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 dance and pillage and go a little and get drunk and go crazy so i don't know it's just an interesting the idea rather than yes yeah, so, the idea right rather than so don't do that right don't get too right. greedy and don't steal gold they're like no do it anyways and this is what's going to happen and uh, yeah that's the fatalist yeah. indulgences are part of the thing yeah. yeah i don't know it feels more realistic to me in yeah. a weird way yeah no oh, i appreciate it anybody else have any any thoughts i think we're probably pretty close to time although i, I screwed around at the beginning trying to start a fire for a while so certainly we could uh have fan questions and answers on any old episodes or I wanted to talk to Sean a little on plans for the new season. If people think that's interesting, but what do you think, Sean? Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think I mentioned this earlier, like, um, like the fact that we started this in December of 2021, I think it was David and yeah. people actually care about what we have to say is like, 
like I'm very tickled by it, I guess. I don't know. I guess this is going to be our 61st, like 61st episode. I don't know. We're like, we're excited to see where this goes. We're not going to stop, but um, we may like cut back to like every other week. And I think after we do our series on Ragnarok, we're going to do a series on like the saga of the Volsungs and then the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok and then the saga of the Icelanders. But we appreciate like anybody that has any comments on Twitter, Instagram. It's good to mention that, yeah, that um, as we do every other week, our main episodes that, I, you know, then I have room where I might get inspired to do a thing. Maybe I'm doing you know an interview somewhere else, or maybe I'm doing that thing on Iron John, which is kind of a, I think it's within a, yeah, Iron Johan, a Germanic uh, uh, fairy tale. It's not quite, you know, Nordic, but that it'll connect, right? And do, to do one week on some Greek stuff that you should really know, that, you know, is how I understand these myths, right? We've been doing it for a while, and we certainly do have something to say, right? I think as we have people showing up, you know, showing up, and even if they, we, we bring up some real interesting questions, and that's where I'm glad to get everybody's feedback, so. I think it sounds good, Sean. Wrap it up. Is there anybody else? I'm going to stop okay. the recording. Great. I just oh, wanted. Yes, I just wanted to thank you both for doing this. I I'm just a fan. I listen to the podcast. I love the way you present the material. Yeah. I love your rapport, and I I really love that you did this. And I just wanted to kind of be a part of it. And so thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. That makes yeah, me feel better. I'm so tickled. I missed a little bit at the beginning because I was busy playing with the fire, but um. I'll, I'll be able to listen to it later, I'm sure. <laughs> Sandra, what did you mention at the beginning that I that I missed of either how you you found us or? I oh, know. I uh, well, I'm just interested in in Norse mythology, so I I just happened upon the podcast, and um, like I said, I listened to a couple of others, but I ju- I really love yours, and I really love you guys the way you present your materials and and the rapport you have is amazing, yeah. and you know I, it's just. It's really pleasant to listen to, and I learn so much, and it's just really enjoyable and yeah. doing it. That, that helps. That yeah, it really pays off. I've had yeah. a few people say they really like our rapport, so I'm like, that's a good a good sign. We should keep doing it, Sean. <laughs> I'm gonna remember you saying that for a very long time. So thank you. That that means a lot to me. So thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five-star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more.